to be speaking to you uh, this morning about the Bible and praying. Uh, So just a quick recap on what we were looking at last week. We were looking at prayer essentials. What is it essential that we know and and, and practice when we pray to our Heavenly Father? Uh, And one of the things that came out of both the, the lunchtime meeting and the evening meeting is that people sometimes find it really hard to know what to pray. What to pray, what kind of words to use, or if you're in a difficult situation, what are you going to say to God? Uh, So one of the exciting things about looking this morning at the Bible and praying is that this can help us in two ways when we think about what are we going to pray. The first thing is when we look at the prayers from the Bible, they can help us to think, whether the prayers that we are praying are, are biblical. Do we, do we see other examples of those kind of prayers in the Bible? If not, then that should start setting off sort of uh, red flags that, that something's not maybe quite right with our prayers. And secondly, and this is where I think it's most helpful, is that the Bible gives us the words when we don't know what to pray. When we don't know what to pray, the Bible gives us the words. And I'd like to underline it like this. As God speaks to us through his word, whether we're in church or whether we're reading it on our own one morning, the Bible also helps us to know how we speak back. So as God speaks to us through his word, the Bible helps us to know how we are to speak back. So just very briefly, I want us to think about what the Bible shows us when it's talking about praying or or prayers specifically in the Bible. It's a long history. You can go from the first book, Genesis, all the way to the end, Revelation, and you'll find examples of prayers. The first prayer we see, um, maybe some before this, but in Genesis 4, it says at the end, after, after Cain and Abel, it says, at about this time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So the right back at the beginning of human history, we see that the Bible is recording prayer to our Father. And all the way to the very last verse in the Revelation, John writes, after he's seen everything, he says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Or or Maranatha in, in the original Aramaic, it captures this, come Lord Jesus. So from beginning to end, the Bible covers centuries and millennia of prayers. But it also covers different types of prayers in the scriptures. And maybe to see this, we touched on this briefly last week, but to see this in, I think, clearest, is you go to the Psalms. Out of the 150 Psalms, this is some of the kind of prayers that you get that can help us when we don't know what to pray. You get prayers of praise. You get prayers of lament. You get prayers of trust or prayers of thanksgiving. You get prayers of joy and you get prayers of grief. It's interesting to note that a third of the Psalms, that's 50 of the Psalms, deal with grief. It's a huge amount of prayer given over to praying when you're experiencing grief. Prayers of reverence, prayers of honesty, prayers of hope and prayers of repentance. The the Psalms is kind of the go-to prayer book in the Bible that covers everything that we experience in life. But it's also true to say that not all of the prayers in the Bible, and bear with me on this, not all the prayers in the Bible may be godly. 
Because the, even though the Bible records lots of things, it often records some things that it doesn't necessarily approve. Uh, and, and one example of this is this really difficult psalm. I was speaking to someone earlier who was, who was actually praying through this psalm. Psalm 137. Which let me just... If you've got Bibles, do turn to. And I want to just, just explain a little bit what's going on there. Psalm 137. Let me just read the last three verses. The psalmist writes, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. This is people who are in captivity. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You see, the Bible is, is recording this, this prayer, this, this psalm. And we have it in our Bibles for an important reason. And I would say it's not so that we pray that actually if people have treated us in a bad way, that someone, in a very clear example, if they're experiencing the fact that their children have been killed, well, we pray that their children will be killed as well. You could, you could take this out of context and, and pray that, but I don't think that's what God wants us to do. Rather, the Bible is recording this so that we can have confidence that, that whatever prayers we, we pray, even in the darkest times of life, even experiencing things like this, God still hears those prayers and God still prays about them. Now that's different from saying we should be praying these prayers. But it's showing that they are still important to God. And this whole, the whole gamut of human emotions, what, however, however dark or however joyful, God still hears those prayers, which is why it's important that we see those in the Psalms. You see, if something awful happens, we can still pray to him with the type of intensity shown in the Bible and know that he listens. What I just want to talk about briefly now is actually, as, as Anglicans, we live in a history of biblical praying. Uh, now, Peter spoke about a bit of this on, on Sunday night as we were looking at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's psalm of, of confession and repentance. And we use a lot of that traditionally in, in the church, these kind, of, uh, these kind of prayers out of that psalm. Um, and the, the church and its, its doctrine and its prayers are built upon that, that heritage. So I brought with my, uh, my, my slightly large size Book of Common Prayer, and, uh, which is kind of the, the base rock of, of what it means to, to pray, I would say, pray in an Anglican way, and that is to pray biblically. And actually, it's often not necessarily Anglicans, but non-Anglicans who will rave about the BCP, because I said it's just full of Bible prayers. So what I thought I'd do very briefly is just run through morning prayer. I'm not going to read it out, but I'm just going to tell you in a normal morning prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, what the script, what kind of it's doing with dealing with the scriptures. So, firstly, we get the opening verses. As you sit down to do morning prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, you've got about ten different scriptural verses. You've got Ezekiel again. You've got Psalm 51. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So you've got all these scriptural prayers to start. Then you go, and as we've just done, which is great. We've, uh, you pray the Lord's Prayer. You actually pray the Lord's Prayer twice. Um, so there we go, even better. And then as your prayers start, you say, O Lord, open thou our lips. Again, that's Psalm 51. 
then you pray something called the Venite, which is Psalm 95. Then you're encouraged to read a daily psalm and a daily Old Testament reading and a daily New Testament reading. You've then got something called the, uh, the Benedictus, which is, which is Zechariah's song in Luke, um, as he, his, his mouth is, is unstopped and he prays to God. Then you've got another prayer called the Jubilate Deo, which is Psalm 100. Again, you pray the Lord's Prayer again. And then it all finishes with the grace, which, of course, is out of 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. They're all out of the Bible. That's the kind of heritage we, we, we come into as Anglicans. They're biblical prayers that, that shape our worship, both individually and corporately. Well, today what we're going to do as we pray and as we think about how we can be practically praying these prayers from the Bible, we're going to split that up into three bits uh, that's going to shape our prayers. We're going to be looking at confession, transformation and boldness. So confession, praying to get right with God. Confession. Secondly, we're going to be looking at transformation, praying to become more like Jesus. Transformation. And then thirdly, boldness. Praying to bring about change in the world. So if we can have uh, the Daniel verse up on the screen, uh, or if you want to turn to it in your Bibles, turn to Daniel, which uh, I've lost my marker now, there we go. One of the prophets, so he'll be about in the middle. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. 895. Page 895. Wonderful. So this is what we're going to look at to, to shape our prayers as we think about what it means to pray a biblical prayer of confession. And, and I'll, I'll help us to see what are the, some of the key, key parts of a biblical prayer of confession. So let me just read this to you. So chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 4 to 6. And then turn over the page and read 17 to 19. So, chapter 9, 4 to 6. Daniel writes, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. Sorry, I just lost it. And confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Then we turn over to page, uh, the next page, verses 17 to 19. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. So the confession that Daniel shows us in chapter 9, firstly is a confession of humility. We spoke a bit about praying, the importance of praying with humility last week. 
And what it looks like here is two things. It's confession and petition. So confession saying sorry to God and petition asking God for something. Those two meet together and we get this prayer of humility. And, and what's interesting is it follows a structure very similar to what Peter was talking about on Sunday night from Psalm 51. Now look down at verse 4. It starts off not by saying sorry but with praise. Praise of what God of who God is and what he is like. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So firstly, this confession starts with praise. That's what it means to be doing biblical confession. You start with praise. Then we look to the actual confession itself. And it takes on, it starts with a general confession, then it gets more specific. Verse 5, it's general. We've sinned and done wrong, we've been wicked and have rebelled. Well, that could mean anything. He's acknowledging that there is wrongdoing and sin, but it's pretty general. Then he goes into verse 6 and he gets specific. What is this sin that Daniel is confessing on behalf of his people? He's saying we haven't listened to the prophets. So God has spoken and Daniel is saying we haven't listened to you. We We turned a deaf ear to what you were saying. So he's gone from the general confession to specific. Then we go over to, to, the, to the next page, verse 17, and we see that there is this call on God to hear our prayer. Lord, we've praised you and we've, we've said sorry to you. Lord, please hear us. And again, he's talking about specific needs here that he has. Now, we, we're not a people who are in exile. We haven't had our temple destroyed. But that was the needs that Daniel had. And it looked shameful to the Israelites in front of the other nations. That was the need he had. So he's gone, praise, confession, hear our prayer. And lastly, how can he pray this? Where well, he's relying on God's mercy and forgiveness. Let me read just at the end of verses 18 and into 19. We do not make request of you because we are righteous. So because we're in the right, because he knows we're not. But, but because of your great mercy. That is why Daniel has the confidence to pray this confession because of your great mercy. And these great little, almost like stabby prayers. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. That's what we see, mercy and forgiveness. You see, Daniel understands his right place before God. That he is a sinner in need of mercy, but he is still loved. He is still important to God, even though his people have abandoned God. And that's what gives Daniel confidence to pray. And that's what's going to give us confidence now as Matt leads us in this prayer of confession. Thank you, Tim. So we're literally going to do that. We're going to take Daniel's prayer and we're going to pray it as a group. So the words again are on the screen where it's verses 4 to 5 and then 17 to 19. So let's say together from I prayed. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We spoke your name into our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants, 
For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Amen. Uh, what we're going to look at now is transformation. So transformation, praying to become more like Jesus. Uh, and to do that, we're going to use uh, Colossians chapter 1. So if you turn uh, to the New Testament, uh, to page... He's doing his hands up, first person. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, which is on page 1182. Colossians 1, starting at verse 9, 1182. Let me read. Paul writes, For this reason, and he's talking about the, the faithfulness of the Colossian church, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is about transformation. This is about praying to be more like Jesus. The word the Bible sometimes uses is sanctification, becoming more holy more Christ-like in every area of our life. And what Paul is doing here, by talking about this prayer and by, by praying it out, is he is acknowledging where the people are at with God. So far he's been really positive. He's been thankful for their faithfulness to the Gospel. But what he's saying is he's praying for more for them. He's not just saying, it's fine the way you are, right, let's, uh, I'll go and worry about those, those Galatians, they're really causing me a lot of trouble. He's saying, it's great where you are, I want you to go further. I want you to be more and more like our Lord Jesus. And the three things that I'm going to pick out that he prays in this passage that can help us in our own prayers, of whether that's us praying that we would be more like Jesus individually, or as a group, or as a church, or praying for others, and we want to see more, to look more like Jesus. These three things. He talks about praying for knowledge, for strength and thankfulness. Knowledge, strength and thankfulness. Look down at the end of verse 9 and into verse 10. We see Paul praying for knowledge. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. What Paul is talking about, he's praying for them to have renewed minds, 
that they would be seeing things more and more in line with how Jesus sees them. But he realises that the only way they can do that is with the Spirit's help, with, with God, the Holy Spirit, his help to have a, them to have a renewed mind and a greater knowledge of God. And I wonder if you've been a Christian for, for a few years now, I'm sure if you're like me, you can look back to an earlier period in your life and thinking, did I really used to think like that? Did I really used to think God, God was like that? And actually, graciously, he has revealed to us what he truly is like. It wasn't once we became a Christian, we knew it all. We probably, if you're like me, probably thought you did. But actually, the further you go on in your walk with Jesus, you realise actually there are lots of things you don't know. And he is humbly showing us more and more what the knowledge of God is like. And that's what Paul is praying for this church, that their knowledge of God would grow. But then we see that he's also praying for strength. Praying for strength. We've had knowledge, now for strength. Look at verse 11. He writes, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. What Paul is teaching through this prayer is this isn't just a prayer for people to learn more. It's perfectly possible for someone to, to know lots of stuff about God, but actually it's got to do the drop, hasn't it, six, eight inches into their hearts and start affecting their behaviour. It's no use just tucked away in your brain. It's got to act out in your heart and in your body. That's what Paul is praying. He's saying this isn't a prayer just for people to learn more, but that this knowledge creates an inner transformation. That's why he wants people to have more knowledge, so that they have an inner transformation. And he's really practical in terms of what he's praying for. He's saying that you would be strengthened, that individually and as a church you would be strengthened. And the two ways that this strength looks is in endurance and patience. So an inner strength for whatever they may face, but also a patience to wait it out. If things aren't going their way, they have that patience. That's what, that's what praying for knowledge, praying for transformation in someone looks like. It's so they would get knowledge of who God is, but they would get that inner transformation, that strength, the endurance and patience. And last of all, he's praying that they would be thankful. Look at verses 12 and 14. He's praying and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And he goes on. I'll just read that verse. So he's asking that God would make them thankful. And I wanted to speak very briefly that actually he isn't just saying, be happy. There is a difference between biblical joy and being happy. He's not saying, put a smile on your face and try and force out a thank you. What he's doing here, and he follows this up in 13 and 14, is he's saying, joyful thankfulness. You see, happiness kind of comes and goes. We're happy one day and sad the next. But he's saying this joyful thankfulness endures. Because, of 13 and 14, because it's something that's already happened to us. That's why we can be joyful. That's why we should give thanks. And that's what he's praying. This knowledge leads to a strength in their inner selves, which is acted out in thankfulness and joy because a Christian knows what they have. A Christian knows that what they have can't be taken away because it's something that God has already done. He's, God has already rescued us out 
as we were praying of that darkness and brought us into his life into his light and into his life this isn't just happy false thank yous this is joyful thankfulness and as Paul is praying for them it's a thankfulness that continues Uh, do turn to Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles Acts chapter 4 which is on page 1096 and we're looking at verses 24 to 31 Acts chapter 4, verse 24, page 1096. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were, filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is what this final section is, praying biblical prayers for boldness. So particularly praying to bring about change in the world. And I want us just to pick up a few things of what this looks like. Firstly, if you're praying bold prayers from the Bible, then that is starting with prayers that have, well, prayers who have their eyes open. We have our eyes open. And let me explain what that means by looking at verses 25 and 26. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Then what they do is they pray Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. What the apostles are doing and the disciples doing as as they're here, as they're praying this, is they are viewing their whole situation, which is one of of a, a kind of opposition to the gospel in this early part of Acts, They're viewing their situation through a biblical lens. So they're they're kind of looking at what's happening, not just through human eyes, but through the Bible's lens. What is the Bible saying and how is that helping them to understand what is going on at at this kind of crazy time when they're experiencing persecution? where Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. They're doing it through biblical lenses. And as as I just mentioned, that this is a a Bible prayer within a Bible prayer. They're quoting Psalm 2, talking about why the nations are are turning their back on God's special king. They're praying with their eyes open to what the Bible says. Now this is important because often when we're, we're praying about something that requires boldness, well then it's not natural for us necessarily to be praying in line with the Bible. We see something that happens and it just terrifies us. And again, we don't know how to pray. But the encouragement from prayers like this is that actually we can root those times in in God's plan revealed to us from the Bible. For example, if something terrible happens to us or a family member today, 
or this week, we know actually as terrible that as that is, yes we can pray to God about it, but that it fits in with God's big plan for us as God's people. That it's not going to change what God has promised to his people. It's not going to affect our standing with him if something terrible happens. So God's people pray with eyes open and eyes on the Bible. Secondly, and this is the kind of the theme of it, they pray with boldness. Look at verse, this bit in verse 29 where the disciples are saying, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see, if they didn't have this biblical perspective of what's going on, they didn't have that, they wouldn't be able to pray for boldness. It would be the last thing they'd want to do because they'd have no idea what was going on. But the Holy Spirit has revealed to them that actually all of this is part of God's plan to bring his, his light to the nations so they can pray for boldness. A friend of mine was at a, at a conference a few years ago about the persecuted church. So churches in other countries around the world that are experiencing persecution. And there was one man at the front, after he'd finished speaking, led them in a prayer. And he said, Dear Lord, I pray that this persecution on our brothers and sisters around the world would stop. Amen. Everyone went, Amen. Then a man stood up from one of these countries and said, Dear Lord, I pray that you wouldn't hear the prayer of my brother who just prayed. And everyone said, Oh no, what do we do? So awkward, so not British. But he said, Lord, I pray that the persecution wouldn't stop, but you would give us boldness. Boldness to face that persecution and endure it. Lord, we look to the West where there isn't persecution and we see a, we see a flabby church. Whereas we, we, we know that actually persecution in this case, with your strength, can make the gospel go forward. And we only need to look at places like China and North Korea and Pakistan. We see the gospel exploding and going out and saving many people. He wasn't asking that persecution would stop and neither is that what's happening in Acts 4. He's praying that he would have boldness to endure and boldness to speak your word. Look then what happens. They are praying for God's name to be glorified. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying not only for boldness, but for these signs and wonders to happen. And that is calling on God to, to show his glory amongst the nations, even when people are facing persecution. And we know actually what happens is when things like this happen, when God answers those prayers, often what happens is the opposition and the persecution gets worse. We only have to look back in Exodus, where, where God is, is showing his power over, over Egypt, through signs and wonders, very similar language there, through signs and wonders, and actually the opposition from Pharaoh gets worse until he succumbs and, and lets God's people go free. But they are still praying for, for God to be glorified. And actually, look, it's not just God's glory, but actually so the nations would be blessed really practically through healing as well. That's what happens. And just to finish this off with a wonderful encouragement, actually. We were thinking a bit last week about answered prayer. Well, look what happens in 31. After they prayed, and we're meant to see that as immediately after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
Sometimes we have to wait a long time for prayer to be answered. For them in this case, in a dire situation, immediately they were filled with God's Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. That's the only way they were going to do it, with, with God's Holy Spirit inside them. But God answers that prayer straight away.